but yeah, dude, I'm, yeah. I'm that guy that doesn't. Unfortunately, my parents are probably pretty disheartened by the honesty that I've given them. So <laughs> <laughs> they are disheartened by the honesty I give them. That is great. <laughs> yeah. Welcome back to HR Talk with Ricky Baez and JC. Enjoy the show. And ladies and gentlemen, we're back for yet another fantastic week of HR Talk. It's our pleasure to be here with you today. I'm JC and going across about to sunny central Florida, the man, the myth, the legend, the guy with so many post nominals that he does now have an additional post nominal tacked in on the back end for his education and presentations wjc ricky Baez. did ricky, you really you? just add those to the name uh no they, they got added to your uh, zoom conference title before your last uh presentation in college <laughs> so yeah professor just had to I'm, fill you in now <laughs> i'm just noticing that right now <laughs> hey, i'm just noticing that hey ladies and gentlemen uh we are going to belabor uh, things just a touch. We do have a very special guest today, but before we uh, introduce our guest and get into things, just a real little quick banter with Ricky. Ricky, how you doing? How's the week going? How's everything in your neck of the world of business? Everything's great, man. Everything's doing good. Uh, uh, do you still hear the music? I still hear the music. It just keeps going. Just keep going for the whole show. Go ahead. No, you're not going to do it. Shit. That would have been great. No, dude, there's nothing going on in the world right now. Everything's great. Uh, it's a beautiful Sunday morning. We just woke up and uh, just another boring Sunday. Right, JC? Over on your end as well? Yeah, it's been a crazy week. You know, a lot going on in the world. But today, we get a reprieve from it all. We have the blessed opportunity of sitting down with a professional musician, someone who spends time in the studio, someone who's a road warrior, who's been out there in front of the world in the community making music, not even just making his own music, but performing music and, and transcribing music and doing things with music that some of us could only dream. Ricky, it's been a while since we had someone of this caliber on the program. You realize that, right? I do, but for I'm not, look, I'm no rocket science. Science. Ha! I'm the rocket scientist. But from how you're describing our next guest, I, it's, I don't know. It sounds like maybe he's a musician. That's right. He is. Okay. Got it. Make you sure. And, and I'm sure. not going to give away the exact date, but he is also a musician that I do coincidentally share a birthday with. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the legendary, the impeccable, world-renowned, Drummer Josh McEwen. What's happening, guys? Another day in the jungle, brother. How are you? You know, as I, I've said many times before, I'm living the dream, my friend. Got to keep the dream alive. Got to keep that dream alive, brother. You know, can't let it go. It, you know, gotta do it. Let's let's bring Ricky up to speed a little bit on you, as as well as the listening audience. And uh, for for those of you that are just tuning in, as you know, with the program, from time to time, we do have that blessed opportunity to sit down with someone and do that introspective, and that is today. So, Josh, when did you first start playing drums, if I may? Uh, I started 
playing drums in the fourth grade. Uh, it was a single snare drum uh, just in, you know, elementary school. And uh, it was a very cute story. My, uh, uh, my teachers at the time took some kind of motor skills test and found that I wasn't uh, suited for the drums. Unfortunately, being really? that age, you just go. In, wow. Okay. Go <laughs> yeah. You just go into tears and uh, start throwing the temper tantrum as you do at that age. And uh, my mother wouldn't let me leave without a damn drum in my hand. So so what did they say to you? What did they project you as as being uh, efficient in rather than drums? I don't think we got to that point in the conversation, actually, because my mother was uh so cool about uh, getting me the drum. I, there was just no uh, room for them to even let that kind of information in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. It's just, I don't care what you're going to do, you're going to beat this drum. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> All right. So it, it, it's, it's your family from a musical background? Uh, there are no musicians in my immediate family. Um, oh, wow. I have one cousin that also plays drums back in Buffalo, New York. So, so why the big push from your mom to uh, to play that particular instrument? Uh, she could tell how much I wanted to do it. Ah, yeah, it was a very, uh, very passionate thing that I was uh, exuding at that time. So, probably try to stop the temper tantrum as well. I was gonna say. So, <laughs> I was gonna say. So, I think from what it sounds like, based on the, the two minutes in this conversation, what it sounds like is that she took that opportunity of you beating everything in the house. That if she could get a little bit of peace and just get it out of your energy, out of your system at school, that way she can have some peace and quiet. Man, good lord. Yeah. Wow. It was. Uh, I'm also an identical twin, so there was very little peace for her. So does your twin like drums too? Um, I don't think anybody in my family growing up at that time liked the drums because I was doing it so much in the house. <laughs> Tolerate probably a better word. Ah, uh, that's uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. But you you have family support. You had support from a young age. You had that that reinforcing backbone of of the the mother figures stepping up. Uh, the the mother. Uh, I didn't mean mother figure, your mother stepping up and, and standing behind you and, and pushing you forward and encouraging this because it's something you wanted to do. And at that young age, did you understand or realize that, that you were going to be world-renowned at that point in time? No, no, not at all. It, was, uh, it wasn't even a flip on the radar. It was just something I liked doing. Gotcha, gotcha. So so the years go by, you're in school. What what happens from there? How, how does this grow and turn into uh, into a thing where you take it a little more serious than just beating on a snare drum. How does that evolution take place for a young Josh? Man, it was um, it was such a cool process in uh, in school. I was a band dork, so um, it was such a cool process to have all of the competition going on, and um, a lot of it was like solo competitions, things that I would never think at the time were really valuable, but showing up and getting some uh, recognition from some musicians out there that were adjudicating us and mm. seeing that I was actually improving well enough to a level that I could maybe do this really, uh, really set my path forward on that. 
receiving the Semper Fidelis Award in Music Excellence from uh, the Marines in high school. Oh, nice, nice. Go ahead. Okay. It was a, a really nice honor, unexpected on senior day, of yeah. course. <laughs> nobody, nobody told you, so it was like, all right. <laughs> hey, but before senior day, you're talking about some of these competitions. So for people that might not be aware, you're one of those musicians at a young age there that's that's taking part in like the the all counties, the all states, the things like this that the parents take their kids to to compete to find out basically how good you're doing at a certain level or something like that. Correct. That's absolutely correct. And, and that's where it ends, though. It's like the county, the state that that's it. Right. No, it goes even farther. All Eastern. Um, that's probably that's as far as I made it um, was the all Eastern competition night got accepted as an alternate i didn't actually make it into it but uh i think it was five guys in the entire east coast and i was like six or seven that's huge that's huge mm-hmm. so you you're, you. you're in school you had you have these talents you have these skills you have these abilities you understand that you're ready to now face the world you've received some accolades and awards graduations taking place things are done and now you're 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 heading out into the recording studios and you're making a million dollars and you're traveling the world and things are great, right? No. <laughs> no it doesn't uh it doesn't always line up like that. Although uh T V would probably not make as much money if uh they had that story happening all <laughs> <laughs> uh, the reality of it was uh, you know, you just have to bust your ass out there and, and keep your even now I'm still busting and grinding. It's uh it's a good, uh, it's a great career path, but you will. So, have- so at what point did you finally meet Fred Thurston, became the founding member of Limp Bizkit? <laughs> Let's get still- to that part of the story. That dude's still around. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, biscuits are still around. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> we had, um, I never really got to meet that dude, unfortunately. Oh, um, dang it. Yeah, that's a. Uh, there was there's some other I celebrities. Been a better band. <laughs> I should have been Metallica or something. Some other celebrities I have gotten to uh, hang out with in in uh, the, the pop world and rock and roll world, but uh, that is definitely not one of them. <laughs> well, I mean, so 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 now playing the drums is becoming that part of your life. It's becoming clear that that's a career path that you're taking, right? So this is one of those few instances that at a very early age, a parent. It's a parent is that that figure that kind, of, that kind of guides you. So now you're getting to the point that it's becoming your career track, right? And it's at, at what point in your life do you say, wait a minute, this is what I want to pursue to get money versus just getting another job? Yeah, I mean, where where is that defining line between it just yeah. being something for fun uh, that that's happening in, in garages and local bars that turns into, yeah, I'm going to take this serious because I am an actual musician, not just the drummer. Absolutely. It was um, for me, it was at 25 years of age when I finally got my act together well enough to go back to music school and get my degree in uh, drum performance. So between the ages of 18 and 25, I was basically noodling around with uh, the music career thing, doing it for fun um, and trying to find my way if that's what I actually wanted to do. And I didn't think this was something that I wanted to do until. Um, I got into some bands back in Buffalo, New York, and then said, you know what? I think I can actually make a career out of this. I'm going to go and seek some mentorship and really 
grind it out and see how far the rabbit hole really goes. Mm. So a, a drumming school is like an official college, or is it like clown school? No, come on, I'm, I didn't know. Oh my god, there. dude! Come no, on. I bring it up because he. There's a story with the clowns and stuff, though. Too, I think we'll get to that coming up in a little bit. But, uh, but, but there's an actual m- music school that you attended for this, right? Like Juilliard type. It is. Um, it, it was a school that a credit college called McNally Smith College of Music that, unfortunately, in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota, no longer exists. Um, they went under, I think about two years ago, not quite sure. I don't have all of the details why, but it was very sudden and, and a very unfortunate situation because those folks worked really hard to build mm-hmm. up that curriculum program to be, um, as competitive with the Berkeley. Um, Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So, so it's a degree dedicated just to percussion, right? That's right. Okay. Uh, we had other classes as well. Um, of course, you had to learn your music theory. Mm-hmm. You had to learn songwriting and various other things to be functional in ensemble groups and things like that. So please forgive my ignorance because I don't know too much about it. So I would assume that if there is a degree program for the percussion, there has to be for like the horns and strings. And I mean, so they have to be dedicated degrees to that. Where does it stop? I'm I'm assuming it goes to the master's level and then the doctorate level because I thought at the doctorate level it's more theory, more strategic, more thirty thousand foot view. But these are specific specialized degrees, right? Absolutely, yes. And if you're if you're going to go into this profession, it never stops. The rabbit hole just keeps going. Yeah. So after doctrine, now you're going to be looking for something something new to get involved in or. You know, some of us stay complacent, but I don't meet very many musicians that ever uh, do that. They're always evolving into another part of uh, the business side of things or the education side of things. See, I've always wondered about that because it's I know people go they go get a college degree for their own reasons. Right. But one would have to assume you would get it just to get a job to do something. But then other people do it just to be more knowledgeable in a specific subject. So it's. Once you're going for that degree, right? So you, I, I would assume you would have to figure out how that balance is going to look like. To I just want to be knowledgeable and get the credibility and get the theories, the classical training, but I got to get an ROI on this, right? So how do you measure that return on investment with how much money you're spending on that degree? Uh, yeah, I'm. I guess I'm into gambling because there is really no uh, way to kind of have that crystal ball into ROI. Yeah on what's going to happen now well, any degree to be honest <laughs> quite, quite honestly right so many well, mbas out there is that even funny <laughs> you might as well enjoy what you do then i mean and that's yeah. oh i i went about it for sure yeah no, it's um a good buddy of mine um uh so she has a degree um, of music from uf right uh but she does something different she does benefits right for hr and we're like, how do you translate one to the other, right? But it, it, it's that to me, because you know, look, growing up, everybody told me, you got to go to college to get money. You got to go to college to get money. That's how I was growing up in the 80s and 90s. Right? And now we're, we're finding out that education is so, so vast and so readily, readily available now that a degree for the sake of setting you apart from the rest of the pack as far as talent to get hired, that, 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 that doesn't almost exist anymore anymore right it's very true i have met a lot of and i work with a lot of younger musicians now that find it completely pointless to get get an education in music because you can basically you know write your three chord song do your thing and Mm -hmm. then 
be incredibly good on the social media side or the uh, the business side. It's where you know you can make a very lucrative living without having all of the uh, the background of the yeah. instruments that you're performing on. Uh, I often think that you're going to hit a wall, of course, at some point, and you want to climb over it. But uh, you know, that, to each his own, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's. So how do you monetize this? So how do you say, or do you say, hey, I need to monetize this? Or you just follow your passion to the point that the money just comes afterwards? What kind of strategy is best? That's my, the latter. That's, that's been my approach is just keep on following what, uh, what your heart's telling you to do. Mm-hmm. Say live performance, uh, for example, I worked on cruise ships for, um, 11 years did 22 cruise ships 11 years on a cruise ship yeah on uh, 22 different cruise ships usually <laughs> oh, wow. six to ten months out of the year on each okay so you just uh, tapped into one of my passions um right. it's uh cruising so uh <laughs> talk to me now i've had plenty of conversations on a cruise with with the crew Right, but never to the entertainers. Actually, we uh, well, JC did an introspective, yeah, yeah about a we, year ago. We had uh, the yeah. legendary Johnny. guitarist uh, Johnny Mazer on, and he was yeah. talking about his uh, Alaskan cruise ship endeavors and spending time in port, uh, in between cruises, and then getting on another ship. Uh, he signed a contract going to the West Coast, thinking he was going to be making it big out in L.A., and it turned out that they were putting him on like a little Piper Cub and flying him up to like you know the <laughs> northern end of Alaska and saying, "Best of luck to you, bud." You know. So it's oh, yeah. it's always that shift a uh, shifty cups type game. Um, when you're talking about yourself as a business and as an entity, and you're taking on these contracts, are you an employee of that cruise line at that point in time, mm. or are you an entity unto yourself that is then contracted by the cruise line? How did that work out for you? Oh, that's that's the rub right there. And um, uh, in the beginning, you are your own uh, your own entity. Uh, you find an, I found an agent that hired me. So now I have a third party agent that's putting me out on these cruise ships. But as soon as I get on the actual ship, I then become a ship employee. So you go through three different phases before you're actually the employee of the ship. Even though you're spending the majority of the time on that ship, um, before leading up, you're not the employee. Well, okay. it, it takes a while for the uh, the Bahamas to hire you or something. That's where most of these ships are based out of, right? <laughs> most of them, yeah. <laughs> Different hiring practices. I wonder why. Man, each one of them's got their own flag, man. I've, I've worked on Dutch ships. I've worked on the Bahamas. They've- and now one of them is the United States where labor's, it, labor is a little bit more expensive. So, yeah, but that's another episode. Yeah, man. We're going <laughs> to hide your money the best. I- <laughs> well, I mean, there you go, right? <laughs> by this buoy over by the Bahamas. All right. So with the cruise um, lines, with the with the ships, where have you been in the world? Yes. I've been on every continent in the world. So every I continent. Can- Antarctica. You did a show in Antarctica. I have been on a cruise ship that has scenically cruised around Antarctica. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> JC, we were in the Marine Corps together, and we didn't visit that many countries as he did, and he has. No, no. Wow. It's, it, okay. it's absolutely unreal, unbelievable. You've, yeah. you've had to have met so many interesting people in your travels, aside from playing with a plethora of different musicians from maybe even all over the world, right? 
Absolutely. Yes. Uh, I've learned how to swear in seven different languages. And See, it's all worth it. There's your ROI right there, Josh. Right okay. there. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> Write that down, buddy. Hey, I, so, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Well, I, it's, I'm really curious on how um, cruise life is for an entertainer. And is it any different than the actual crew itself? So when you're not playing, are you doing other, other tasks around the ship since you're now a ship employee when you're in the way? Um, no, unless we've gone into a, um, a code red experience as they call it, where, you know, some kind of illness is broken out on the ship and we, uh, were forced ah. to do some helping out. But the days that, uh, the time that I'm not performing, I have to myself and a little bit of, um, incentive for musicians and entertainers, I suppose, is we have, uh, more liberty to go around the ship and just, uh, experience what a lot of the cruisers are so they encourage us to get out and uh, publicly hang out with folks and uh, see how their days are going and things like that nobody else though right because everybody else got to stay behind the scenes in their off time like uh, somebody working the kitchen or somebody working in engineering at least for the cruise lines i've been on i've just been on disney royal caribbean and carnival i don't know what the other ones are like yeah, I, I I would say that's a, a real fair assessment of the situation that you're seeing there. Uh, a lot of the cooks and uh, cleaning staff you won't see unless they're actually working. So, so what's the craziest thing you've seen below deck where all the employees and all the crews? I know you guys have some crazy parties, man. I know you do. Don't uh, say you don't. <laughs> you got video. Let's see the video. You're on it, man. Like. Yeah, we partied in the engine room before. Like, in uh, the engine room? Yeah, dude. Like, sick things where I mean, it's just uh, cabin parties. And you have to keep in mind that a guest cabin is one thing, but a crew cabin is a bunk bed. And then you take three steps over and you're in your bathroom where you can do everything from one standing position. So, oh, my gosh. You could just do it from bed, if anything. Man, but I don't want to get up. <laughs> awesome aim. We've jammed like 15 people in there drinking, smoking cigarettes, hanging out, and just getting Wow. And then, and, and, and it's not like you have like just five hours of work and 19 hours of free time. It's actually almost the opposite, right? It's almost like 20 hours or 12 hours of work. And then the rest, you just got to get some shut eye. Yeah. As a musician, I think we have it better than most on that front. But, uh, of course, there's the standard policies of learning, uh, um, safety procedures on ships and sitting there in HR meetings and um, how not to do stupid things and get caught and all of that thing. And Especially let's, when HR was with you at the party. Let's talk about that real quick. So your your perspective, uh, and solely as of right now, focusing on, on your time over those that 11-year span, the ship time, if you think back to those interactions where you had to deal with human resources – it was pleasurable. It was something you looked forward to. It was something that you couldn't get away from and you in, enjoyed, right? Or no? Oh, man. it's. Yeah, I think it's different than any other HR experience you'll have because you're living with the people on the ship that are that actually in HR. So you're not getting away from each other regardless of whatever meeting you just had. Um, <laughs> I'm going to see later on after he's just, you know, told me that I might be getting, maybe getting fired for smoking a cigarette in a place I shouldn't be smoking a cigarette. And hopefully we have a laugh at it, but, you know, sometimes <laughs> you don't. 
Could you imagine if Josh and I worked together at, at one of the cruise ships? I'd call him into the office. I'm like, Josh, I'm going to have to put you in a final written warning for your drunken disorderly content last night. Ricky, you were with me. <laughs> You're the reason why I was drunk in this room. Yeah, but this is about you, not yeah. about me. <laughs> My meeting is next. <laughs> you nailed it on the head, dude. That's exactly what it is, too, man. It's like a whole other universe and very parallel to anything that you really, really could imagine. So, so in the in your timeline of uh, the cruise ships, uh, this work began right after college. This work began years after. Uh, how how does this fit into your life story? I graduated, and then probably I would say eight months after I graduated, I ended up on uh, my first cruise ship. And it was I was touring around in those eight months with the blues band around uh, the Midwest. Uh, I randomly got a, a phone call from somebody to come down to my college and audition for this thing. And uh, after I did the audition, they handed me a card and said, um, you know, what are you doing next week? And then seven days later, I was in the Caribbean for six months. <laughs> oh my god! But but at this point, your <laughs> your school bills, your Good. school bills are real, right? I mean, th- this is a loan that you have to start paying back right away, right? Yeah, sixty k, no problem. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah. Wow! Wow! wow. And, and yeah. you've got family at this point. You you own land, property, or or you're just. Hey, I'm going to the Caribbean, and this is—I'm just doing whatever the whatever life throws in front of me. That it is the latter, there. Yeah, man. I, I had no—I fa- uh, had no uh, uh, married, obligated family, course, right? right. Uh, but um, I tried to keep my relationships light, simply for the fact that I knew I wasn't going to be a very good provider for a very long time. <laughs> huh. So uh, you are, though, right? Because you're doing good. You Yes, absolutely. Now is is a great time, and now we're fast. Oh, got it, got it. Okay. But at that time, man, well, everything was just weighing down on me. Uh, honestly, like we got my twin brother and I lived together. We got our apartment robbed in St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, we lost everything, which was nothing at that time. So we made mm-hmm. it very hard to come back from. Um, and then student loans come up on top of you, and you know you're getting dinged for all the credit stuff that had nothing to do with you at all after being robbed people writing bad checks in your name so i think my credit sank down to like 400 so when i got a cruise ship job it was like i'm running away from all of this and i'm just going to focus on my job for a while and see if i can rebuild everything you'd be a great you would be such a great recruiter right because it's you've got that that life experience and then you communicate that it's one thing to tell somebody hey come on this cruise ship it's another thing to say look here's how i came up and here's my life story because people resonate with that. And when they resonate with that, they have that personal connection and they're more apt to either give, sign their life away for either the military or work on a cruise ship or get some money out of their pocket in sales. Yeah, but, man. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, so that so time on ship, did, did you wind up are, – are you still paying off those student loans? Is everything squared away there? I mean, was there – how did that Every- work out? Everything's squared away there, man. I, I got onto ships, and uh, my first contract went well, uh, but it wasn't um, up to par as far as performance goes with, for what they were seeking. So I kind of got some uh, verbal things told to me that I needed to work on, and uh, I spent another four months after that first contract working on those things and came back stronger. Mm. Um, 
improved well enough to where uh, I got more offers, obviously. But I, um, um, I paid off that student loan tuition in about six years on cruise ships. Okay. And still living the comfortable lifetime at that time, whatever comfortable meant for you in that point in time. Absolutely. Yeah. 10 grand a year. That's not that bad. That's huge. Yeah. You have free food. You have free lodging. Yeah. You're getting to check out the world and get to do what you love doing. At that time, it was perfect for me. Did you, did you meet and through that cruise ship time, uh, networking, meeting other professionals in the industry or, or a potential love of your life at that time or at that port? Any good stories to share? <laughs> um, friends from around, all around the world, musician-wise, I still stay in contact with. That I absolutely adore these folks. Um, still collaborating with a lot of them, actually, virtually now with everything that's happening. And uh, I never approached uh, the love of your life scenario like a lot of my other musician friends that I always called it buying the T-shirt, uh, for example. And uh, they would... <laughs> <laughs> you know the, the best uh bought the t-shirt i'm gonna hang her off for a bit <laughs> totally man i'm gonna move to bulgaria this day i love it <laughs> wow i'm home with like no money and just this oh. depressing story i'd heard so many times and i'm like yeah i'm gonna probably not do that yeah but what amazing stories does that produce though <laughs> that's a lot better than what have you done in the past five years i don't know just Find more, you know, tiger memes. I don't know. I don't know what I've been doing for the past five years. But those, but those are great stories, though. But wow, Bulgaria. So you know somebody that uh, fell in love in Bulgaria, bought a T-shirt, and now they got a whole Bulgarian family. Oh, they never even got that far, man. Like they, they got married, and then they were just like done after six months. And yeah, you know, ah. so, I mean, shit happens. Uh, yeah, it does. No, no, you're good. <laughs> it's an HR show. Josh, oh, yes. <laughs> you, can, you can say whatever the hell you want. You're good. We're dropping that bomb soon, man. It's happening. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So paid off in six years. Wow. So what advice did you give somebody following in those footsteps that they really want to pursue that career in music? Do you, do you encourage them going to school or just going a different route? I, it, for music, for music, for music. I, it depends on the, the person and what they, what they want to get out of their music. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, I went on tour this summer with a, a wonderful band with a, a young violin player that was considering going to some schools, mm-hmm. um, but she's also a, an amazing songwriter uh, acoustically. And it, when I was hearing her try to figure out which path she wanted to take, it sounded like songwriter vibe was more the thing that she wanted yeah. to do. And she was pretty well on her path already. And, for that particular instance, I would almost suggest keep on writing until you're you hit a point where you need some mentorship. Yeah. You need full education to write a three chord pop song. So uh, maybe save your money until you're ready to expand. Um, but if you're trying to get into straight performance, where you're sideman for um, you know American Idol or something like that, or whatever random thing is out there now that you're going <laughs> to sideman for. Yeah. Um, I would suggest getting the education for that because you have to really know how to communicate in yeah. in those situations and no better way than getting it from somebody that's already been there. You you talked a, a bit there about musicianship and, and the writing of music. Something you've shared with me in the past is your ability to read music and to transcribe. You could, you could actually hear a song 
and transcribe the entire piece into written music for others to play. Is that right? That is true. Yes. Wow. Um, now there are, there are certain things that I always seek help from when I'm doing that, because I don't know exactly how perhaps a trumpet player is going to articulate something that I'm writing. So before I'm sending it out a final product, I'm always getting with some other instrumentalists to make sure that my articulations are correct and that they'll be able to give the piece what I give the piece, what I need to hear Mm -hmm. um, come through, you know? So 11 years on ship, we're playing music, probably writing and transcribing at the same time. We're, we're doing anything that we desire. Those 11 years are, are culminating towards an end, right? And, and now you're into your 50s. Things are moving on. You're so old now. No, I'm kidding. Come on, Josh, <laughs> work with me here. You said 11 I, years, right? So yes, yes. What, what happens next? Where are we now? Well, we're only 40. So, I mean, 2020, that you add those two together, that's my age. Crushing. Um, <laughs> Uh, okay. So, uh, you know, body starts wearing out a little bit after that, yeah. and you're starting to get the old man aches when you wake up in the morning, and uh, you start getting into more composition, more production, um, uh, more writing songs. I've experienced a lot of the touring life that I uh, that I wanted to, and now hmm. I'm getting into more of uh, the stay-at-home work on stuff, and you know, catch up to the 17 year old guys that are working on songs. Now, so, <laughs> then, some, some of it is really based on where you live within the United States, though, too. Right. Like while you were on ship and doing all this, you, you kept home in St. Paul or in in western New York or where, where do you call home during those years and then moving into today? Um, I home was at that time Western New York, so I packed all the little bit of belongings that I had after we got robbed back to um, Western New York and left everything with my family and with my parents. And seeing I was going to be out on ships, I was only going to spend you know three three to five weeks at home in between contracts before I was flying out again. And yes, that was my way of saving money by not having rent. Thank you, parents. Mm. Mm. Nice, nice, nice. And you're still in the Western New York area now? I am not. I um, um, I saved enough of a nest egg to uh, move to Nashville, Tennessee after my um, years on cruise ships and kind of uh, start my new career path out here. All right. So they say you got to be in it to win it, right? You're, you are in the mecca of, of yeah. music of music in the United yeah. States. You truly and barbecue. Are. I mean, goodness, yeah, the food, the music, the, the studios, the opportunity, you got to fill us in a little bit there. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a, it really is a pleasure to be here and be a, uh, be a working, hardworking musician. Uh, I think that's the only way that you survive in this city is to work incredibly hard. Um, your average day will could end up being a studio session in the morning, going playing two four-hour shifts without breaks, and then going and meeting up with a, you know, a jazz casual in the evening for an hour and a half. Then you've played for fourteen hours and maybe only made the same amount of money that you would have on one day of performance on a cruise ship. And you know that that it could be beneficial for you in the future for more work. And one door does always open another door. It's just how far. The doors keep on opening, and I've been really lucky here. Uh, I've been here, this is the start of my fifth year, 
one year I was recovering from um, a knee injury, so can't really count that one. But uh, um, it's been the city for me, for sure. It has everything that I that I could possibly ever want. So you said that sometimes you do two four-hour shifts? Is yeah. that what I heard? Yeah, so, so four hours of just playing drums straight. Four hours, not a break in between. That's right. That's right. Wow. I would think you get maybe one. Fi- so don't have a big meal before you go live for your shift. It's so or, true. Or do you have a setup? Well, <laughs> I, <mean, laughs> I don't know. Talk to me. I was learning all this on the fly, just like you're talking <laughs> right now, too. I, I was always showing up and just uh, not understanding what was going to happen. And, yeah. and then, I, then I noticed the bass player is bringing this bag of snacks. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what are we going to What's happening? It's a working lunch. It's what it is. Totally, man. Wow. Like, yeah, you know. Yeah, Four hours. Um, but a lot of the times, I I should say that depending on the artist that you're working with down there, they'll want to sing a few songs acoustically just to get uh, uh, get you that break. So ah. depending on who you well, are. Well, that makes sense. Right. And I'm a cigarette smoker, so after about two hours, I'm ready to go, you know. And we're not saying we are the world, just me. Go take a break, guys. <laughs> That's right. God, That's I've right. been singing for 20 minutes. What they, what they had tacos last night? What's going on? Um, so, so I got look, something. Um, I got something here for you, Rick. And I got Josh. one quick question. Though. All right, go I ahead. got one quick question. So, Josh, you said, I mean, obviously, JC and I know that uh, Nashville is the mecca for music, it's the mecca for food. There's a lot of talent there. Um, so is there another reason why you picked Nashville to move to from, um, uh, after your cruise ship life other than the music or it being the Mecca or were there other cities that were contending and then you ended up or you selected as a finalist at Nashville? Yeah, there are always contending cities. I obviously we have, uh, um, large music communities in every one. It was just what, uh, how I could afford the living and what my main focus was and, it was the songwriter thing that I wanted to get involved with by uh, backing them, playing drums for them, and yeah. actually starting to become one myself. So a New Yorker in L.A., I don't think would have been as wise of a decision for me at the point in my career where I'm at. And Nashville is, is it's pretty cool. You can pretty much get to all of these other major cities touring out. So it's uh, So I think... I think JC, I think you and I need to go there for a weekend and just follow him for a weekend. Oh, I love see it. all the different gigs and do a, a, a show live. That'd be great. It'd be unbelievable. I just want to go to Nashville. <laughs> Please <laughs> to be honest. All right. I do have a uh, quote here from you or for you oh. rather. Josh is a superb percussionist and excellent band leader. He took on both roles as part of circus Schmerka's 2018 tour, leading live musicians, triggering recorded tracks, and responding to an ever-changing live performance in real time. It's a rare individual who can tackle these disparate tasks all at once. And Josh more than, and Josh is more than up to the task. I recommend him highly. Mark Lonergan, creative director, Circus Schmerka's. That. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, comes directly from JoshuaMcEwen.com. Tell us about that right there. 
That was an amazing experience, and uh, I have to say, musically challenged everything that I have in me for the uh, the amount of sheer performance that we did. Uh, we were doing a seven-week tour. I think it was 70-something shows in those seven weeks. It was wow. two two-hour two daily shows. Um, and the only time that you had off on that tour was when you were actually traveling from one location to another. Wow. So, uh, the circus world is, uh, not for the faint of heart. And those folks are some of the hardest working people I've ever seen in my entire life. And with a, a certain amount of passion that can't even be, uh, can't even be set into proper words. You'd have to experience that kind of thing to see that passion. That's a legitimate circus. Absolutely. Yes. It's oh, a- oh, I thought it was like like a band or something else, but it, it's circus. What is it, JC again? What is? Oh, sorry, Circus Smirkus, uh, not organization out of Greensboro, Vermont. Check them out. They've been thirty huh. years. So, what makes them different than any other circus? Aha! This is the fun part. The performers are all from uh, the ages, I believe, of ten to eighteen. So you're talking <laughs> youth circus. 10 so they're 10 years old to 18 yes Rick. Yes. to include 10 year old tigers 10 year old elephants there's a whole thing going on right josh <laughs> no animals no animals. <laughs> gotcha yeah, gotcha good no, try to save there jc <laughs> no carol baskin involvement here <laughs> we're clean we're good involvement <laughs> but that that's that's a big commitment and and, and not yeah, just performing he says that you were the band leader though as well this is something that you did on cruise ship if you could, please, also explain to everyone, what is the difference between just performing and being the band ah, leader? Yes. Uh, that's where your HR skills come into play. And uh, I like to believe that I'm a person that can actually uh, bring people together in different opinions. So uh, you're, de- you're dealing with, on the ships at least, you're dealing with folks from different parts of the world that may not see things the same way as somebody else on the bandstand. And you still have to come together and perform a very challenging piece of music for an artist that's flying on from all over the world. Um, and communicating is the way to uh, obviously get the most out of each musician. Now, on Circus Smirkus, music directing was chal- challenging in a different way because I was actually triggering um, MIDI orchestra as well as playing. Um, and communicating through a microphone while I'm playing drums, hitting MIDI tracks, pointing out to the other musicians when the next section. Wow. Okay. Um, And keep in mind, there were probably about 90 MIDI section hits, I would say, to trigger each of these things during the show. And then there's a thing called Foley where the clowns come out and they, they do their funny things, and I'm doing all of the sound effects from my drum set as I'm, as I'm preparing to tell the musicians what's coming up. Wow. (laughs) I'm confused. You telling me all this, man, four hours of performance was the least of it. It was making sure that I didn't uh, leave one of my fellow performers out there hanging in an awkward position. So literally. So do, do you take that same mindset, that same thought process and bring that forward into the studio and, and also into the, the scene around Nashville? I, yeah, I, I think uh, the energy from um, whatever we all do as a community always comes together at a at a head, and 
and we uh, we make the best music and situation that we can possible. So, yeah, I would definitely say that everything that I've gone through shows up every time I get on the bandstand. Once again, here from JoshuaMcEwen.com. Josh nails the three important points of being a musician in Nashville. Musicianship, great hang, and showmanship image. You'll learn a lot from touring with people, and I just can't say enough about what a great guy and musician Josh is and how effortless it was traveling with him. He comes prepared and has a solid groove and great dynamics. All of that with zero attitude or ego. Jeff Thornycroft. Who's Jeff? Why did he write such kind things about you? Because uh, it's true, JC. Jeez. <laughs> God. Such a yeah, cynical. It is hard to fake the truth. I, I <laughs> There's my ego. Sorry, Jeff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he was right. Hey, they, the show's about you, not him. So take it away. You're good. You're good. Uh, right on. <laughs> um, Jeff is a bass player that I worked with on a tour um, with an all-original pirate band, um, Tom Mason and the Blue Buccaneers. I highly suggest checking out Tom Mason and the Blue Buccaneers. They're a fantastic band, and he's a wonderful human being and performer himself. Um, but we spent some time together in a van, you know, and chatted a lot about uh, musical situations and life and all of the things that you do when you're, when you're spending a lot of time together. Um, so, Josh, is very rare. Well, I want to say very rare. It's uh, very rare that I do an HR talk podcast show. And it's very rare for me to learn something new that I haven't already done in HR. But now that you're on here, you just open my eyes to a new term. What in the hell is an all pirate band? <laughs> please, help, please help me understand what that is. Because <laughs> I'm just here like, what did he just say? A pirate band? Help me. Oh, man. Um so a pirate band, there are uh, these amazing pirate festivals throughout the United States and world uh-huh. where folks come together and dress up in pirate garb and get out and, you know, play a play a role for a day and have uh, a release from the world and uh-huh. do it in the pirate world. So. For example, I toured with Tom Mason and the Blue Buccaneers five weeks last summer, and we did, oh my God, I can't even remember how many shows. It was a lot. Um, but we played these Tall Ships festivals. I think Buffalo, New York had the Tall Ships this year as well. Uh, we missed that festival by a week. We joined the Tall Ships in Cleveland uh, for the beginning part of our tour and uh, toured Cleveland, um, Michigan, Minnesota. Wisconsin, uh, back to North Carolina, and then home to Nashville throughout those five weeks. So it was all different uh, pirate events. Do you dress up, or I mean, you got like a patch? I it's I'm really intrigued, bro. So I mean, do you it's dress up? Ships, I mean, is, Rick. is it's it the rock tall or ships, man? <laughs> it's just the classical theme. music. <laughs> Some of the pirate music is classical, kind of based. Uh, uh, music, but uh, the particular group that I work with is uh, out of the box in the pirate world, where we're a rock, a rock pirate band, a rock and blues. It's um, awesome. And there is the dressing up factor, which I have never been very good at, and I've done it quite a bit. So with the help of uh, my bandmates and Tom, uh, they get me looking as much like a pirate as possible. 
Hey, I've got a, I've got a clip here Great. for you. I got a clip here for you. It's not from uh, the pirate sessions, but here's ah. a here's a little bit of Josh just released five days ago. It's good stuff right there, Josh. Thanks, brother. Yeah, it's a lot of fun doing that. Sorry so for the lack of a fullback on the start of that clip. Audience heard it, and then I realized I had your volume down over there on that side. Sorry about that, guys. So was that – It's. I know you showed the video a little bit. I, I was trying to see if he had a pirate outfit on or not. No, but okay. That's cool. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about that clip? I mean, what was that – that was you practicing at home, or were you actually in a session? That, believe it or not, is an audition piece. Um, I was auditioning for a show down in Foley, Alabama, I think. Um, and they sent me these two tracks and asked me to record. That's why you're hearing the metronome in the background, just playing along and reading mm-hmm. the charts and trying to make a groove. I unfortunately did not get that job, but I was. Uh, it was a very, very close second and... Uh, the band leader out there was very, uh, very positive about my my audition piece and very positive about uh, the, the opportunity to work together mm-hmm. in the future as well. So you've become extremely popular on social media over the past uh, month or so here. The drumming to the COVID preacher. What, what's that going on about, man? What's, that what's going on with that? hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I woke up to social media as most people do, checking my phone, and I saw this preacher doing this talk on my on my buddy's uh, Facebook page, and I don't remember the gentleman's name, but uh, I was inspired by him. Uh, he did the same vibe thing to um, a clip from Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory, and I saw that years back, and I was like, man, I gotta do something like that. But when I saw that clip, it was the first thing that came to my mind. I'm like, finally, I got the one that I can I can do. And immediately went over the drums. I think I'm still in my pajamas on that damn video because I was just so excited to get into it. And uh, about an hour later, there it is. It's out on into the world. <laughs> do you mind if I play 30 seconds of that, Josh? That would be great, man. Oh, it's coming on. It's coming in too quiet. Coming in too quiet. Sorry about that, ladies and gentlemen. So for that clip, though, you're going to have to stop by Josh McEwen, JoshuaMcEwen.com. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah, All that's right. it, man. That was anticlimactic. There's a technical snafu on my end. Sorry about oh, that. Shoot. Uh, it's on YouTube as well. I think it's drumming to the COVID preacher. If you that is exactly stuff. right. <laughs> did you do that at your house? I did, yeah. Right in the spot that I'm sitting now. If I look over to the top there where everything happened. So you live in a house or in an apartment complex? I live in a house now with a fellow drummer. Then uh, now, a- so does yeah. something happen before at an apartment complex where maybe your neighbors were not too happy with you practicing? And I'm finally going to drop that up. Um, fuck neighbors, dude! Like, <laughs> hey, oh man, holy shit! I I lived in an apartment complex and I did everything that you should do as a drummer to make sure you're not annoying as fuck and yeah. everybody can live life. And I got all the electronic drums, blah, 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 and padded everything. 
And sure than anything, even though you're hitting you're hitting a pad, it still makes a little bit of noise. And those bastards would come over every ten still still too loud. Uh, I invested quite a bit of money into making it peaceful for everybody. So yeah, yeah, neighbors, you suck. (laughs) I mean, look, I would get their rationale if you was just full blast regular, you know, just regular drums. But if you if you invested a lot of money to take into consideration their peace and quiet. That still should be good, man. I mean, but they still had an issue with it. Now, how hard were you hitting those things? I barely, my friend. <laughs> That's what was killing me about it. It didn't cost them anything to have kids and annoy the shit out of me. And I was like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can always sell your drums. <laughs> well, I mean, some people have sold their kids. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> bring it down. Good job, Ricky. <laughs> so if you if you had to think back over the past lifetime so far, and getting into the industry and 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 doing what you do, what advice would you give to those that are up and coming and have those thoughts that they're looking to move to Nashville to start over, to make it big, to 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 crack their teeth and get going? What what advice would you give? It's I, I think it's very similar to any profession. Just work hard and stay with it. Um, the difference being is sometimes there won't be as much of a financial reward for what you're doing, but if you're gratified with the music that you're playing, and you should be incredibly proud mm-hmm. of what you're doing out there. Um, I also would have to say to aspiring musicians, education is important, uh, and seeking a mentor will will help you in situations that arise in your future uh, and prevent you from making mistakes in given moments as well and really help you succeed. And networking, networking, network. I think one of the things you did being on that ship and making all those contacts, I mean, think about it. You make, you make contacts with people with walks of life that a lot of other people would never, ever run across that same path, yet they share that same passion, whether it's drums, whether it's strings, whether it's horns, whatever it is. But networking is key, right? Having that mentor and having the right, shaking the right hands and how you can help each other, it definitely is key, right? How, how has that helped you? It, it sure it assuredly has helped. Um, musicians from different parts of the world that I worked with on ships have been incredibly supportive of the things that I've done, and I can always seek advice from somebody on on material that I'm struggling with. And mm-hmm. that's so readily available and amazing. Um, but it's also gotten to a place where I, when I take a job, I, I think of certain musicians that I want to personally work with. And if a position opens up, I can actually wholeheartedly tell the, the employer that they're going to enjoy this individuals playing and personality because I've spent that much time with them. So the networking thing and vice versa, they've done that for me as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, so what you just said, if I could just convert that to the HR world real quick, what you just said there is key, right? Because from, from, from a recruiter's perspective, who is pressed on filling a requisition, who is pressed by his or her business partners and leadership to fill a position relatively quickly, what you just said is music to a recruiter's ears because now if I can have somebody from the inside who knows how this environment is like, what better person to tell me and find somebody that can vouch for this culture and bring that person in, right? Now, obviously, if you're wrong, 
then that's your name, that's your credibility on the line. But when you just said it really is music to a recruiter's ears because what he or she is thinking about is finding the right person for the right role as quickly as possible, and you are that fast path for that quickness to 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 fill that. Absolutely, I, I my um, my agent out of Montreal, Quebec, that hired me for the majority of my cruise ship work. Um, was so cool after a certain amount of years that we built a, a wonderful friendship and mm -hmm. business relationship that I actually refer people to her. And as a joke, I asked them all to tell her that the Boston Bruins suck. Way to way to book more gigs there, Josh. Holy shit. Well, then she knows it's a real reference though. Right. <laughs> ah, it's a code word. Okay, got it, got it. He's a huge Boston Bruins fan. I'm a huge Toronto Maple Leafs fan. These Bruins keep on kicking my, my team's ass in the playoffs, so at least I get back at her with the people that I send over, you know? So, so, <laughs> so when you tell people that, I'm assuming the next question is, I mean, is she a fan or does she hate him? If she hate him, I'll say that. If she's a fan, fuck you. I'm not going to say that. I want this job. They're so timid. Yeah, man. It's like, um, I don't think I, I should say that. I'm like, man, man up, dude. Get get your get yourself a job. Mess with her a little bit. And after some some uh, some prodding, I suppose they they typically do it, and I get a nice message from my friend saying, "Yeah, you go. My Boston team's still kicking your ass." Okay. <laughs> No, but but see, but that's that's what's so valuable about networking and having that business relationship and and not just rekindling that relationship when you need something, but consistently keeping in contact with people to see how you can help people. Not only does it make you as a person feel better, but it also keeps your front of mind for other people because it's it's you as a as a business owner, you as a an HR person, somebody's trying to hit you up with something, you could tell when, trying, when they have an agenda and you could tell when they're being genuine. Being genuine always trumps the agenda. It always works. So yeah, I mean, spot on with that. Uh, it, it's, I'm, I'm assuming you're doing that right now with Nashville and whatever the next 10 years brings for you. Um, you're planning on staying there? I mean, is that it? Are you retiring in Nashville or are you going to go uh, do an encore in Antarctica? <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> Well, you know, if my body hangs in and my mind is still sharp, um, I'm going to hang out here as long as I possibly can. Yeah, I do love it here. But I've often dreamt of moving to the Philippines for the, the last part of it all. And uh, nah. you know what that's all about. Yeah, that's about uh, living like a king for $400 a month. Yeah, you know, on a musician's budget, that's not a bad idea, right? <laughs> no, it's not. It's beautiful <laughs> over there. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Yeah, I, I do have uh, some current events and things for today, but before we get into that with you, Josh, Max Chameleon, who is he? Max is actually going to be popping over here in my studio in about an hour or so, and uh, we co-write on a lot of material. I, I play drums on a lot of his original material, and uh, um, he's a professional psychologist, works for oh. the VA, and oh. Wonderful, uh, wonderful way of uh, communicating his music and uh, just sending a message out to people. He calls you a monster drummer, a consummate professional. He's, he, he goes on and tells the world how humble you are, but how you, among anyone else, knows how to play the gig. What does he mean by knowing how to play the gig? What does he mean by that? 
We could extrapolate that. We could interpret that right away just by the words. But from your perspective, what do you think? So I guess we'll use some mental imagery. You walk into a coffee house and you see, you know, two or three people up there playing. And as you're waiting in line, you can't speak to each other because the drummer's too loud. So I know as I'm playing drums in that coffee shop that you want to be able to speak clearly to your friends. I'm not going to play that loud. That I think is an example of playing to a, um, a certain scenario of gigs. Um, there are many others that we can go down rabbit holes. Each, each has its own different um, mindset, but knowing your environment, that's awesome. Yeah. Absolutely. He says, he says you're someone that's always prepared. Is that true? Or do you ad lib a lot? No, it is very true. I I, uh, I probably spend too much time on preparation for things um, that I that I do because I want to uh, feel like I can uh, interact as much as possible after having all of the knowledge that I have for each gig uh, and be free. I think that's a mm. big, musically being free is is uh, a very hard uh, attainable quality. It's hard to paraphrase music. You can paraphrase uh, any anything else in the world of business all you want, you know? It comes down to a certain point. You need quotes. You need things that are exact. In music, some things have to be exact. You're the drummer. You're the timing. You're the heart, the mind, the soul, the body of this entire thing. If you're not where you are, would the bassist even matter? Uh, absolutely not. I think it was a James Brown quote. If uh, the drummer ain't... Uh, the drummer's no good. Everybody's got to go home. Uh, it's yeah. a very real thing, man. If you're a drummer, yeah. if you walk into a club subliminally, if you're not a musician and you're just an enjoy, enjoyment listener, you will recognize something is off. And yeah. it's going to be that damn drummer. <laughs> What's uh, What do you play? What's your favorite drums now? Man, I I still I play just about every genre of music. My favorite still to play is swinging a big band. I absolutely love getting behind uh, you know fifteen to twenty piece band and yeah, hearing everybody sound like they're only three people. I think it's an amazing accomplishment yeah. to do it. Um, but um, I'm playing a lot of folk and folk songwriter stuff. I'm I'm playing bluegrass jams now. Uh, I'm playing hip hop music. I'm playing punk rock. Uh, wow, you know, you're all over, bro. Circus music, nice. Or, you yeah. know, show band cruise ships. I actually did a cruise ship this past. Uh, uh, we got off of the ship in early January, and I was out with um, a modern country band. It was the first time that I've ever done today's country. So that was a uh, that was a trip. It was fun. When did you get off the ship? We got off the ship January twelfth of this year. <laughs> You would have just stayed on just two two more months or one more month. You might be still stuck out there. Uh, my buddies were. And uh, uh, a lot of my American friends just recently got off of uh, that very same ship. That so. is crazy. I, yeah. that, that is just crazy. Yes. Yeah, because yeah, uh, at least over here on the coast of Florida, you can see in the horizon about four or five different cruise ships just hanging out, just waiting for the word to come back into Port Canaveral. Uh, go ahead now. Now they come in to refuel and do all those things, but then go back out. Nobody can le- can leave the ship. It's crazy. Yeah, and it's a uh, it's talk about an HR kind of whirlwind, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Because because what do you do? I can't let you leave, but do I pay you? 
Are you still working? We're not generating any money. What's happening now? Nobody knows what's going on. Yeah, we're gonna hold you against your will, not pay yeah, you. And not pay you. <laughs> yeah. If you're and we're gonna charge you for the food because you're you're out of your contract technically. So now what? And if you're American, you can go first because you're American. It's like, whoa. <laughs> so crazy, man. So with uh with with Nashville, with the uh with the scene, not just uh local music around there in that regard. And when we talk about local music, I mean Nashville's national acts are local music in Nashville. Let's be honest. Um when you when you get pulled into a studio, uh, is this because you've been invited by someone that you've already networked with and know? Are you on contract with anyone uh, for any particular studio? How does that work? Um, for for me in Nashville, I started getting into studio work working with one particular artist. And, uh, I'm sorry. Oh, Fred, Fred Durst. Durst? No, no, not Fred Durst. I'm I'm just wishing that would be true. It's okay. Go ahead. Yeah, man. He did it all for the Nokia, I heard. I am not sure. <laughs> yeah, it didn't turn out good for him. It's all yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. Do it for the love, my friend. <laughs> but there's and, yours, though, right there. <laughs> that's, the, the, that's the rub, though. Is that love? I don't know. And, anyhow. <laughs> uh, what the hell's going on? <laughs> I'm working with this damn uh, this, this guy, and he invites me in to record a whole bunch of his original music. And uh, the engineer took a liking to what I was doing. So he, in turn, after the session ended, started hiring me for other studio work. And then my name just started getting passed around for some other stuff. And I was randomly meeting people in studio situations that uh, have provided me uh, a lot of fun and enjoyment and some financial reward as well, of course. Oh, nice. Nice, nice. So when you go to the studio... Do you play a kit that they provide, or do you bring your own drums in? How does that work out? Now, that particular picture you're showing is not my drum set. That was uh, part of Max Chameleon's recording. Um, And when I walked into that studio, it was one of the most breathtaking experiences I've had, simply for the fact that he had told me that it was a home studio. Yeah. And when I think home studio, I think of what I have up here in my second floor of the house and I'm walking into a multi, um, over a million dollar studio in somebody's house. And <laughs> hmm. those are the drums laid out. He's got cymbals. He's got everything. I of course bring my certain go-to things that I enjoy mm-hmm. hearing on recordings that I switched out a few things, but uh, he had everything that you could possibly need in a studio situation. And most of the studios here in Nashville do. What's your favorite dish in in Nashville? <laughs> I am the worst eater, but um, I have let's see, uh, what is it's called? The Mexican food is amazing. Uh, pollo loco chicken. Pollo loco chicken. Yeah, dude. Is that what is that what they call it? Here, it's like cheese dripped on chicken and rice, and amazing, man. Holy cow. Wow, that was not what I was expecting. I'm thinking like hot chicken or some deep, deep barbecue kind of stuff and just a lot of spiciness all over. No, 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 no. I think you get it over at that uh, Los Pollos Hermanos. I think that's they carry I, it. That's the first thing that came to mind when he said that. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, great. Walter White is in Nashville. Awesome. <laughs> He's going to ruin that too. Gustavo. <laughs> No, it's dude. I'm dying to go up there, man. I'm it's, I'm a foodie. I'm dying to go up there just to, uh, to you know. When I was, um, it's we travel quite a bit, and I like to 
just go based on what kind of food um, uh, culture they have. So Nashville is definitely in that list. So when I was doing the research on that, I came across the um, the episode that Anthony Bourdain did in Nashville. Holy crap. I did not know. I knew Nashville was a great place to go and it had a lot of entertainment. I didn't know that. And they did such a great job capturing that culture there between um, uh, uh, muscle cars, the music scene and the food scene. That really is the Mecca. Man, it's it's very true. If you're that kind of uh, that kind of foodie, you'll definitely find it here. I unfortunately still eat like I'm in college, hot pockets and random nonsense that's uh, probably <laughs> very healthy. But I, you know, I got into that picky eating style and never. Mm-hmm. Left. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, you moved to a hell of a place and not have that kind of an appetite, man. Well, or maybe it's good that I'm not there because then I'll gain even more weight. I came to a place with Buffalo and the wings and everything. I still don't like hot wings, man. I never did. What the hell, dude? What? Why? (laughs) Well, that's where I met you, right? Because I met you through JC. We went to the game and we met you afterwards over at the the barbell. And I'm in heaven. And I'm like, I don't get beef on WEC in Orlando. I don't get this kind of food because we don't – we got chilies. What the hell is that? Yeah, and we don't don't have a, a, a food culture here like they do in Nashville or Buffalo, New York. So, but yeah, I do need to visit just for the food and the entertainment there, but yeah, I'll be there. I'll be in that state next week, man. And I might have to convince the family to take a six hour round trip just to try some hot chicken. Hey, and Josh, pollo he's, a, he's a drummer too. You know, uh, Ricky, oh. professor Ricky Baez, MHRS, PHR, Sherm, SCP, WJC is also a drummer. <laughs> years and years. And I'm talking about high school, bro. Middle school and high school. I have not practiced. He says this, but we get together then. to record a podcast in Melbourne, Florida, and we had to stop by Guitar Center to pick up some chords. He hops on the drums, and he just starts tearing it up. And everyone's looking at him like he's a celebrity. <laughs> I'm like, don't worry. No. He used to drum for Fred Durst. It was a whole thing. <laughs> yeah, no. No, I just you know just started messing with it, but I was not tearing it up. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, I wish I would have followed it. Um, actually, I'm thinking about getting Little Man to do it, but I'm having second thoughts. I was looking at a drum set for him, and I'm like, oh, God, he gives me, he creates so much noise right now without it. I don't know if that's something I want to do, but I don't want to hold him back. I want to expose him to anything I possibly can. So. Yeah, I might push him a little bit earlier than you would push back in the fourth grade. Now, Josh, you've you've exposed yourself to a lot of people and a lot of things along the way. When we think about the things that uh, uh, you were exposed to or that you continue to expose yourself to, is it strictly only the drums, like uh, drums with sticks, like people think of regular drums? Or do you play other things like hand drums or the little box drums or timpani or anything like that? Are, are you a... Oh, well-rounded Hungos. musician that plays a whole bunch of different... Do you play the buckets? Like, where does this end with uh, your musical prowess? Um, it never does. Uh, for example, you're going to hear this right now. Oh, okay. That's my fingers. You know, like, I walk around and I do that kind of stuff all day long. Um, but at the same time, I do play hand percussion instruments. I play hold, on, hold on, hold on, Let's <laughs> look at it. I... I- Josh is actually making it. sounds. You, on the other hand, are hitting yourself in the face. <laughs> I am not good at that. Make the motion, man. I'll do it for you. Ready? And the audio cut out. <laughs> oh. <laughs> this is the one time we should be recording video. We really should be recording video right now. 
All right. Sorry about that guy. I think the uh, limiter on Zoom is like cutting them out. I really do. Like we hear him for a heartbeat and then it cuts out. Uh, Zoom's, Zoom's trying to save our audience. That's what they're doing. Stop. Stop. We need to have a fair talk with them, dude. <laughs> exactly. Have to do that. So, Josh, where's the future taking you, my friend? Where is the next? Uh, Ricky asked it before. I really want to hammer home on this. The next 5, 10, 15, 20 years before the Philippines, what are we doing? Where are we going? What is the focus before you get to the Philippines? Man, I, I, I'm leaving myself open to all endeavors and possibilities. You say that. Uh, you said that before, and I trust you. I believe in you. I really, really do. What are you why are you doing? trying to corner him, man? No, why I want to know. To I want to know. What are you doing like this next week? What are you doing this next? Are you the guy that's available where if there is a musician in the area, they could call you or they have to go through your agent? How does this work? Are you on contract? Are you not on contract? How does this work, Josh? It works all of those ways, actually. But at the immediate moment where I am now with Nashville being only in phase two, live performance is not a thing that... Uh, um, I can achieve. So oh. I'm right now working on writing yeah. uh, how to release a co-written song that I'm incredibly proud of called Leave Me Alone. And it should be out in the next two weeks. Right. Um, and lyrics, the first time I've written an entire song of lyrics. Um, ly- lyrics have never been very good to me. So this one came out pretty well. And I'm excited about that. I uh, continue to co-write with other friends, um, constantly making music and trying to pitch things to certain uh, uh, outlets like TV and things like that. And um, getting some responses in now and it could be another rabbit hole that I, you know, backlog myself with. And who knows? So, it's all that greatest part about my this life, I should say. So the COVID-19, the phase two, you're, you're trapped. You're locked down. You can't do anything. You can't even cut your own hair right now, right? Through that, man. Holy cow. Yes. You guys are still locked down there. Wow. Well, they've, they've opened up. I'm sorry. They've opened up uh, some of the bars on Broadway to, um, I think, half capacity, but with only duo performance at this moment. And so an acoustic guitar, two acoustic guitar players, and, you know, they get up there and they do their thing. They don't need me, the drummer, yet. No. Nah. Unless they just have a big Zoom screen there and just broadcast you with speakers and everything. Well, I mean, that, if it's if it's synced up properly, I'm sure it'll work. You're absolutely right, man. They've been putting drummers in plexiglass cages right? for the last like years. <laughs> yeah, we'll be back there again. Dude. Why not just do it three miles away? What's the difference? Yeah, you're made for this. I've been practicing for this my entire professional career. I'm ready to go, guys. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So, so well. Yeah, it, it's and it's sad because I know I know different different states are opening up and I know it's hurting a lot of people, especially the people who 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 rely on the service industry, because right now that's what you're relying on. And there's a lot of hardworking people out there, especially in the arts um, that are that are just trying to find different ways how to how to just make money with this. It, it's it's I said at a couple of shows ago, one of my favorite DJs is John Digweed and and, um, and Sasha. And uh, lately, instead of being at clubs playing their music, they just go on Facebook Live. And I see people just uh, just Bluetooth and it to a humongous sound system and everybody's having a house party at home watching 85,000 people or a million people watching uh, the, the, the DJ pump it up. 
through uh, through Facebook Live. I'm wondering if that's something that's going to become the norm for live instrumental music. I think it, it has. I, I, we're really in a time where we're living off the generosity of others as well. So mm-hmm. continue to please tip virtually. Yeah. Musicians are, are working. They are working when they're playing for you from home. Yeah. I, I hope it does not become the norm. I, I hope we get to see people in person performing yet again. I mean, that's, that's where the magic is. You know, you yep. go out, you see this guy playing four hours continuous. The sweat is beating on the, the brow of his head, the calluses, the blisters, and the smiles along the way. I mean, there's magic. Yeah, I don't magic. think about that when I'm listening. No, there's magic. There's magic. When, when you're watching these people perform, you know instantly by looking at them how how terrible they look, how rough of a life they live. Look at Josh. Just look at his face. <laughs> that right there should be the cover art. Exactly. What, that right there. I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. Uh, he's leaving, JC. But it's true. People pay, there you go. There people you pay go. their dues. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, he grabbed a horse mask. He has a horse helmet. Uh, that he wears. So, but my point is, people people work too hard for yeah. for them just to be performing out of their out of their homes over Zoom for the rest of their days to see someone perform in person. There's a magic to it that you won't even get off of True. YouTube or a DVD. Well, I mean, it wasn't it a week ago there was a city that had a drive-in concert and people just just tuned in from Absolutely their. Absolutely, it was, and yeah. it was terrible. Everyone hated it. It was the worst thing. It was not great. It was very bad. <laughs> But it was it, the, really. But it was the best that you could get for right now. Yeah, so why true. not enjoy it? Yeah. No. Yeah. Makes sense. But you're right. There is a certain magic when you're there live. That's Absolutely. Why when I talk to people who tell me that they've never been to a concert before, and I'm like, oh, you have not. You do not know what you're missing. What about seeing a live band like at a bar? Josh, no, you do not know Josh, what you're can missing. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the day <laughs> when, if and when that that may never occur again? Could you imagine a day when the stadiums or the arenas or the bars, the clubs, whatever, do not hold the hundreds or thousands of people that are coming to watch you perform? I think we're living it right now. I mean, I don't have to imagine it. That's what it is. You know, it's a very real place that uh, that we are. We can have reporters out there 24 hours a day telling you, talking about one particular subject and I'll beating you with it, but we don't have entertainment, you know? We really desperately need that. This was silver lining here, though, right? Because if none of this ever happened and nobody had the idea of broadcasting live music on Facebook Live or any other platform, um, you're only limited to the people to who, who, who can experience this live in your geographic area. Now, yes, you can have Facebook Live then, whatever, but it's more relevant now. But you either lose that magic a little bit live in the exchange for an exposure of maybe two or 300,000 more people that otherwise you wouldn't have. But then that's when you have to refine, find a way how to recreate that magic virtually. And I don't think you can because the human aspect needs to be there. Can you? I, and that's, that's going to be the debate. I, I think if you're with uh, like your kids, Ricky coming up, they're going to have more of a virtual experience than we did. And yeah. perhaps that is going to be uh, more, a real thing to them than the actual real thing itself. So it's uh, not that it's scary. It's just different. And I think evolution is natural. You know? 
it's yeah i i i think we're at that point in human history to where yes it is scary just because it is different i'm sure that when the radio first came about like oh my god what is this device and then when people got used to that the tv oh my god now there's double people inside that box the pictures are moving so then people freaked out then too internet same thing uh metal music same thing so we're just in that part and the fax the fax machine same thing yeah I mean, you're right. Like, oh, my God, you could just this thing is coming out of somebody wrote over there. No, but I mean, we make fun of it right now. But, you know, at some point people freaked out over it. Yeah. absolutely. And this is one of those times right now, which is we'll adapt. We'll do it. We'll just go from there. I just hope it doesn't die. You know what, Josh? You know what 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 you should do? Yes, you move. You move to the Mecca. You did. You know what isn't a Mecca? I'm dying for Central Florida to have a live music scene now don't get me wrong it does there is there are some bars out there some um some um uh restaurants that do hire local talent but there isn't enough of it one of the things that i've always wanted here is a nice clean sophisticated jazz club and i have yet to find one here in central florida so if you could just come down here and start that movement and I'm not talking about just a regular corner bar. I'm talking about Jack is required kind of a bar. Yeah, McEwen's. <laughs> it would be wonderful. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> oh, man. It's a, being here in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, there, I actually worked the door at uh, our jazz our jazz room here. And, mm-hmm. and it's called Rudy Jazz Room. If you get a chance, come and check it out. And it thrives. It's an amazing place. God, I wish. When you come to Nashville, and I'll tell you, after you've been on Broadway listening to a lot of honky tonk music all day, there is a good chance you want to hear something different. And they're definitely packing their rooms, and it's well, well received by the audiences, and they're putting out top quality music there. Man, we need that down here. We need it. And again, we have a few. There's like maybe two jazz bars that I know of in Maitland, but that's it, man. That really is it. And, and Max, we just meet that Max McEwen's here. Jazz Room. There it is. <laughs> You already have a right. business partner built in for it. Upsell the idea. Food. We will not take a cut. I just want to go. I just, I, I just want to go I, I enjoy it. I just want to be there right, for the right? premiere. Yeah. We just yeah, want to be absolutely. at the premiere. That's all. That's all we want to do. And I maybe, would, a, maybe a free beer. And maybe. Man, I, I think it's a great idea. I would have to work on my HR skills before hiring people. I, I would just Boom, no, I, do it. I got you. I, well, got, I got a you. consultant for you. <laughs> I know a guy. Just, just let me know. But yeah. man, yeah, we do need that down here. We do. I mean, it's yeah, we got all the other stuff, man. But a good, good place. And and you know what? Um, exactly what you said earlier. Knowing the room, that's what I'm talking about. Orlando has a lot of happy hours, like uh, on your Friday night, and I can't stand them, especially in downtown, because it's two for one or three for one, just whatever it is, and it's so loud. The music is just blasting electric music, this and that. You can't just have a good yeah, conversation. But dude, but dude, you're talking about a bar that has music. Not a place that has music that coincidentally sells a cocktail. Yeah, there Big you go. difference. Yes. Big difference, yes, right? You're right about that. Huge difference. Hey. I used to live in Orlando, so I know what you're saying. There it is. Do it, Josh. Bring it back. Bring it back. Where? Where? So where did you live in Orlando? Okay, so there was that wonderful um, six years in between deciding to be a professional musician, and I... I took a job as a supervisor for a post-construction cleanup crew um, at the age of 20, and 
they put me down on uh, maybe i'm going to say this incorrectly i hope i don't orange blossom trail <laughs> well, he's already laughing so you already know what i've gone through yeah, yeah, well i don't know is it north or south obt um there was a liquor store directly across the motel that i, I know exactly okay liquor store motel that's what you had to say i know exactly where you stayed uh geographically and oh my god how did you make it out of there number one yeah, and I was 20 years old from Western New York, so population <laughs> was like 500. Uh, I barely figured it out. Let's put it that way. Oh, you went into – it's – what's the best way I can put it? It's a, it's a, you went into the financial district of erotica. That's where you went. <laughs> In, uh, yeah. Guns, ammo, and massage. <laughs> and comic books. I've seen that too. And then four o'clock knock on the door from somebody that's not doing something they should be doing. <laughs> You're not Bobby? Oh God, I'm paying by the hour. Again. Holy <laughs> dudes. Just saying. All right. Well, dude, you, you it, it, it's it start that movement. Start that movement. We do need that influence here, man. It, it, it's if we can make uh Orlando that mecca as well, that'd be awesome. Yes, it's it's all about me. <laughs> it's, it's just make it happen dude oh yeah dude i think it would be great right. so you guys have amazing jazz programs throughout your uh, communities that would be a great place to start i think getting them some uh getting them some exposure out there that's what be- i need to do that's what i need to do it's wonderful way to go man they do not have the backing man and and that's what we need they, they just need to be known gentlemen it is that time that time are you ready Current events this week is brought to you in part by JoshuaMcEwen.com. Man, myth, and drummer. Stop by his website for details and more information. (laughs) Your first story this week, ladies and gentlemen, and Josh, if you're not familiar with this segment of the show, we will read a uh, few news articles, banter about them, and then move on to something a bit more fantastical. The stories build along the way. This very first one is coming from the Irish Post, irishpost.com. Dublin, uh, Dubliner, Larry Mullen Jr., who shot to prominence as Irish band U2 took the world by storm, has joined hundreds of Irish people in repaying a 173-year-old favor with his incredibly generous donation. He has donated $100,000 out of his pocket to help Native American tribes struggling during the coronavirus pandemic. Irish people donated in droves so far raising $4 million around the $100,000 that he's pledged to date. The Attorney General for the Navajo Nation, Doreen McPaul, later issued a heartfelt thank you for the outpouring of support, explaining that she is especially proud of this response because of my own Irish heritage. Yesterday, the organizer of the Hopi and Navajo People Relief Fund, Cassandra Begay, posted on the GoFundMe page where she offered her heartfelt thanks to the people of Ireland and to Larry Mullen in particular for their continued support. We feel real kinship with the Irish, who have shared a legacy of colonization, and we are truly grateful for Mr. Mullen's donation and all donations that have come from our Irish brethren. It's not the first time Mr. Mullen has been connected to an act of kindness since COVID-19 pandemic took hold across the entire world. In April, you two collectively donated 10 million euro to aid the uh, coronavirus battle. 
in Ireland. Your first story from the Irish Post. Ricky and Josh, over to you. I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, good for them? $100,000? Good. Is that Bono? That- I mean, I guess, right? I mean, I'm assuming it's Bono or Edge or Slash, whatever the hell they're called. No, they're Slash like, is not on there. It's Edge. They're like $3 to me. And the- <laughs> I'm just glad they did it, right? I mean, yeah, it, it is like it is like $30 to them. I, I get that. But uh, yeah, good. I don't know what to say to that, JC. <laughs> that was such an odd story. Go Irish. <laughs> Go Irish. Moving on, our next story is coming to us today from NPR.org. Unfortunately, uh, this past week, there was some bad news in the world of music. Jimmy Cobb, the pulse of kind of blue, died at 91 years old this week. Jimmy Cobb, who suddenly and steadily drummed, uh, forming the pulse of some of jazz's most beloved recordings, died at his home in Manhattan on Sunday. He was 91. The cause was lung cancer, says his wife, Elena T. Cobb. Cobb was the last surviving member of what's often called Miles Davis's first great sextet. He held that title for almost three decades, serving as a conduit for many generations of jazz fans into the band that recorded the music's most iconic and enduring album, Kind of Blue. It's impossible to overstate how much his plane, which propelled that all-star group forward with delicate washes of cymbals and brush-stroked snare, contributed to Kind of Blue's Undeniable bounce and feel. Ladies and gentlemen, Jimmy Cobb, 91 years old. Josh and Ricky, over to you. Well written, NPR. That was a very, uh, very uh, nice thing to to say about that, man. His, uh, his recordings are going to live on much so far into the future. That, that album is what makes jazz musicians want to be a jazz musician. Um, I I'm speechless. I actually didn't know that that happened. So that's news to me. Um, That's a long life. And I'm sure he lived it to the absolute fullest. You know, there is a, there's something about musicians and artists um, when they pass away. Cause it's almost like people like throughout people's lifetime, there, there is an appreciation of the arts but it's almost like it's even more appreciated when somebody's gone, right? So when when somebody leaves, because there's a difference in appreciating in appreciating something, but not to the level that you should, with the false understanding that the production of whatever art you're appreciating is going to continue to be produced, and it's a completely different level when that artist is no longer here and the production stops. Next thing you know, people pay more attention. Uh, I guarantee if there's any kind of a fouling on on Apple iTunes or or Spotify or Google Music, just because of that news, whoop, it'll skyrocket, right? Because whenever somebody passes away, that always happens. But um, yeah, I don't know of anybody else that can make that kind of an impact of uh, to society when they pass away, other than artists. Your next story. <laughs> next story is. <laughs> you gotta face the world with a little bit of a smile and, and sense of humor. So wrapping up our our current events segment here, and, and kudos going out to our uh, our young recorder players on YouTube out there for their performances uh, that we've used for some of our our segment music. 
This is from Hendersonville, Tennessee. A nine-year-old boy in Tennessee became the third child in his family to catch a monster fish, reeling in an 80-pound sturgeon that outweighed him by far. Koi, who weighs 55 pounds, was targeting catfish in Old Hickory Lake before he hooked the sturgeon. It took him 15 minutes to get the fish in the boat where they weighed it and took some pictures before returning it to the water. Did you say 80 pounds, man? 80 pounds sturgeon. That's what he said. Caught by a 55-pound boy in Tennessee. I can actually relate a little bit. I I hooked a 40-pound salmon when I was like that size. But we got it up to the dock, and it ended up like breaking the line when, before we got the damn thing in. And I remember my old man was like holding me around my waist, making sure I didn't like just fly into the damn. <laughs> yeah, I can't even imagine that uh, how that all actually came about. Way dude, to go, young dude! I went fishing with Ricky one time in my entire life. Uh, it was when we were living down in North Carolina, and uh, it was a wow. it was a long day. We we had we had some cocktails. Things were happening. <laughs> And he oh, caught this huge snapper. It was crazy. It no, took him. Didn't. It took him no. hours to reel it in. No, I, I know what he's talking about, Josh. And I think I got the picture. It's uh, we're both in a canoe that we rented from Bates because we were bored and we had no cell phones and we had nothing to do and we weren't. Uh, we didn't have enough money to buy the cheap beer. So we're like, let's go do nature crap. All right. So I got a picture, and uh, I don't know if he was used to water or not. I mean, he went through boot camp, so he, he's comfortable uh, around water. But he had it, what looked like four or five life preservers. He looked like that kid from A Christmas Story, and he looked scared. I have that picture. I'm going to post that up because I thought that's where you were going. We didn't go fishing. We couldn't take some rods with it because you were freaking out because you thought I was going to tip the, the uh, boat over. Florida Man Stories, the uh, conclusion of our current events segment right here. Your first Florida Man Story, Josh. This one's going to be coming from WEAR-TV, Miramar, Florida. A 21-year-old naked man broke into South Florida High School and spent 24 hours vandalizing the building, police said. Security cameras caught Matthew Crandall on video trashing Miramar High School. He wore only a hat and headphones while smashing computers and televisions, Miramar police said in a tweet. The video showed Crandall breaking into the school around 7 o'clock in the morning. He caused flooding in the hallways, vandalized classrooms, did things to the walls and hallways throughout the school in Broward County. A school custodian discovered the damage, which was estimated at $100,000. Crandall is from North Fort Myers. It was not known whether he had any ties to the school, police said. Police said Crandall is charged with burglary, criminal mischief. A lawyer is not listed in the jail <laughs> records. Your first Florida man story. It's too bad that that $100,000 from uh, the drummer of U2 couldn't have offset the uh, legal expenses go, and, right? <laughs> and the damages in Miramar there, huh? What? 24 hours it took them to realize something was up? I mean, they got video. They had no alarm system, nothing. The guy was in there for 24 hours, and nobody thought, eh, I mean, there's a guy. I mean, the video was clear enough to ha- have them see a headphones and a hat. If he was naked, where was the, the – I don't care. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Man, I, I 
24 hours, I completely agree with you. And the fact that, you know, most things are still not fully open yet. What are you doing with your time? <laughs> resource? Right. But I have some time in Broward County and I'm, uh, I think you're all wonderful, wonderful folks, but uh, there's going to be a very good chance that uh, some of you are doing things in style. I suppose that young 21 year old is uh, out there seeking that kind of attention. Yeah, just wait till he runs for president in 30 years. <laughs> Watch. Way to go, Nick. That was not me. <laughs> yeah, we see your headphones. Whatever, dude. Your next and final Florida Man story is coming from ClickOrlando.com. Monroe County, Florida, a Florida man who was upset about the noise a chicken was making, grabbed the bird and kicked it like a football player would kick a field goal. According to the Monroe County Sheriff's Office, deputies said 43-year-old Nick Kevin Chu's girlfriend called them on March 22nd to report that he kicked a chicken while they were arguing, and she was worried about the bird's leg being potentially broken. Chu reportedly admitted to kicking the chicken out of his way because he was upset with the bird's noise. But it was a separate witness who said the suspect kicked the animal with the same amount of force an athlete would use to kick a field goal. The Rhode Island red chicken named Hun was found standing nearby on one leg. It was taken to an animal hospital where the veterinarian determined it suffered four broken ribs, according to a news release. The bird has since been reunited with its owner, who has chosen to press charges. Chu was arrested on Monday on animal cruelty charges. Ladies and gentlemen, that's from WKMG. <laughs> ClickOrlando.com. Stop by ClickOrlando.com for things that you could click in and about Orlando. With that, back over to the two of you. <laughs> so here's what here here look look. I love animals, and I am all for against animal cruelty. I just just for a hot minute, I want to go ahead and. Um, <laughs> I want to go ahead and just talk to that vet, that veterinarian who is who spend a lot of time, a lot of time going to school to become an expert in their field only to work on the leg of an animal that maybe in eight hours might be between two buns and fried. I'm just wondering what their thought process. I mean, because a chicken is a chicken, right? And then chicken get killed to feed us. So I'm wondering when somebody brings a chicken to a vet's office, I wonder if that goes through their mind. Like, are they wasting their time? I'm not taking anything away from the whole animal cruelty thing, right? Because it's it, it, it's it's I love animals, but that question has to come up in the in the uh, in the animal hospital, right? I mean, am I alone on this, Joshua? I mean, come on. Yeah, I'm trying to actually place myself in, like, put my mind in uh, an animal veterinary hospital and witnessing what's a coming chicken comes in right like can you help them <laughs> their leg is broken now you got to do a cast for a chicken like a- you normally would have in your hand to eat from yeah. kfc or public chickens i i am a big animal animal person as well so hurting animals of course is uh big no no big no no terrible thing but i i imagine lighthearted humor when you see the the it's a, it's a broken leg and perhaps you know how did a chicken cross the road kind of joke? How do you avoid that one? I did not even think about it. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Uh, How did a chicken cross the road? It didn't. It's got a broken leg because of the stupid story. Yeah, dude. Where are the, uh, did they ever meet the 21-year-old naked guy in the high school? Uh, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, JC, for all the Florida man stories. Appreciate it. <laughs> all right. No, it's no problem. We could even things out. 
you did it to yourself. In Buffalo. <laughs> so this is your uh, weekly Florida woman story. A Florida woman took cops on a high-speed chase, topping 150 miles an hour in her high-end BMW motorcycle. Police said Gina Henry, 38 years old, was arrested in late April on felony charges after fleeing from state troopers as she weaved through morning traffic on I-275 in Tampa, according to court records. State troopers Working with a helicopter overhead, first caught Henry's 2012 BMW S1000RR going 82 miles an hour in a 60 on April 22nd. Henry, who works at a motorcycle dealership in Tampa, ignored a trooper who put his siren on to pull her over, prompting her to pull away, weaving in and out of traffic along the shoulder, exceeding speeds of 150 miles per hour. Officer, isn't there a naked man in a high school you should be drawing your attention to? I think somebody <laughs> kicked a chicken. Shouldn't you be looking into that? <laughs> Welcome to Florida, folks. <laughs> Dude, I really think we need to come up with a new acronym for BMW because every time I get behind somebody that's driving one of these things, this is typically the case. I, <laughs> I uh, It doesn't surprise me. Once you said BMW, I was already done. I'm like, there yeah. There you go. He knew it. She's got 205 horsepower underneath of her. The bike costs $17,000. She's ready to rock and roll, man. You know? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So you didn't want a Florida man story. There's a Florida woman story in closing. Oh, I got that. Thank you. Oh, oh, you're certainly more than welcome. So with that, let's, uh, let's go around the room with some final thoughts. Josh, first, over to you, please. Final thoughts and best ways people could reach you, sir. Man, I want to thank you both for having me today. This has been a lot of fun. I appreciate that. Um, my final thought here today would be music heals. And this is a time that uh, we really need it all the way around. So find your favorite uh, favorite albums and, and do some healing. Mm. All right. So and, I don't and, know how to And the best ways, best ways people could reach you <laughs> yeah. as well, if I may. Uh, my apologies. Yes, of course, you can uh, find me on joshuamcuen.com. Uh, you can be friends with me on Facebook. My personal page is Josh McEwen. My artist page is Joshua McEwen on Facebook. Um, and check out some of the YouTube videos. I think uh, the COVID preacher one gets people a good laugh. And, <laughs> uh, there's definitely some some very cool things from my past performances, on, even on ships, too. Check it out, man. And woman, bad woman driver. Whatever, <laughs> Mr. Baez, over to you. So, it, it, well, thank you, Josh, because it's uh, whenever we have a chance to take a deep dive into somebody's background and how they ended up where they did end up, it, it's it's one of the things that I love about this show is um, because a lot of people see the end result and like, oh my god, it must have been so easy to do what he did or she did, and and it isn't. There's a lot of zigzags, and um, I like how you ended when you're saying that right now we need music as a healer. Because, look, it, it's what we got going on around right now across the nation is one of those times where um, it, there's a lot of unrest. There's a lot of violence happening. The violence, I, I personally, I'm not, not going to speak for us. I get it. I just don't understand why you would destroy somebody's uh, property for it. But it, it's, I just want to take this time out to say that from an HR perspective, I know that there's a lot of business leaders out there who who may see this as an outside of work issue. And let me tell you how far from the truth that is. For everybody listening out there right now, um, Josh is right. This is, it's, it's time to heal. 
and you have to pick your potion. I don't want to say potion. So you've got to pick your medicine as far as how you're going to heal, either mentally or spiritually. Whatever works for you, that's fine. But as a business leader, you've got to be able to give your employees that open and honest arena to communicate and express themselves in a way that is respectful both ways. I'm not saying you have to agree with what people say. What I'm saying is that you as a leader, have, you, you have the responsibility to create that culture of trust in an organization to where people feel free to express their beliefs and be understood. Please don't confuse that with tolerated because a lot of people say, I want to be tolerated. No, I don't. I don't want people to tolerate me because tolerated means, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll take your crap before I snap, right? To me, I, I want to be understood. So, and we have to seek to understand, not to respond. So I know this is a long closing argument, but I couldn't end the show without addressing um, what is happening out there right now, regardless of where on the aisle you are. Uh, you've got to have that middle ground to where you are free to express yourself and be understood and do the same thing the other way around. That's where I'll leave it. Over on my end, Ricky, I want to thank you very much for arguing with yourself over the past couple minutes. They're great words. Man, thank Always you. love it. when you get an argument with yourself, too. That it's was fun. even better. <laughs> like, it was a good time. Like, we just kick back. Good advisement, though. It was, it was good. That was very good. It was very big. It was very great. Very good. Very big. Very, yeah, I, yeah, it. I loved it. And, and Josh, I can't thank very. you enough for your time and, and being, being willing to step on the show and just chat a bit. There's a lot yeah. that we didn't even get into there's so much uh, depth to your life and your story. I truly feel we did not do it justice. But no, he's I would like to he's offer out. the opportunity just right off the bat to another chance in the future for you to come back, maybe spend a little bit of time with us, and we go a little bit deeper into uh, uh, your musical journey, if, if you desire. What do you think? I would love it, man. It would be a, a lot of fun to, uh, to get to hang out with you guys again and, and keep on chatting. Hey, uh, last... Lastly, I'd, I'd like to just give a moment of my final thoughts over to you, Josh, for any final words of advisement or things you would like to say to those that are actually in, in the business world that may have tuned into this entire program and gotten to know you a bit. What do you want to tell them about how they're living their life for their day to day? Or what's a piece of advice that you have for them that might disrupt the apple cart? A pocket rule. Man, uh, the music industry, um, it's a, what is that, um, quote, cruel and unusual money trench pit where only good men, where good men go to die like thieves. Hunter S. Thompson quote, look it up. I'm paraphrasing and it's going to be terrible, but it's I thought not. that was just life. Oh, okay. Oh, but there's, <laughs> Got it. <laughs> the latter part of the quote was something like where good men go to die like thieves. And then there's like, uh, uh there's a, a negative side where, or there's pimps and prostitutes run free. And then there's a negative side is like the end of it. So um, anyhow, I would say create pure intentions with music and in the music industry and business, um, business people realize that your musicians typically are coming from a pure place and that um, there's, it can be misconstrued sometimes on what the intention of some of your business tactics are to best portray the musician and the artist's work and it is work i know you guys are putting it out there for them and that's work too but uh just be be respectful of the art itself mm. Mm. ladies and gentlemen 
on behalf of Josh McEwen, Ricky Bias, Ricky's dog, Ricky's son, Ricky's family, the other people that Ricky knows, to include his graduating class from years past and his current class over at Rollins College. That's right. Just want to say thank you to everyone for being here. Drive safe. Have a good night. (laughs) And the cow. I want pollos locos now. (laughs) I do. I do. It is like the equivalent to the Italian dish. uh, What the hell is it? Um, um, Chicken... Alfredo. It's like the same thing, but in a Mexican style. And I mean, I love how you're still trying to sell me. You had me at Pollos Locos. I'm good, bro. <laughs> you, you didn't got to sell me, man. I'm good. <laughs>